Good morning and welcome to Recipe for Success. My name is Nancy, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Nancy Giacalone, and my special guest today is Lauren Rilling. If you have been following me for a while, you might actually know that this is V2 or attempt number two at this particular podcast. Um, the first go around uh, had some technical difficulties and Lauren was kind enough to give me her time again today. So I'm really happy that you agreed to come back, Lauren, and um, share your story with our audience. Oh, the honor is mine. I've been looking forward to this conversation all summer. So super Yay! happy we could chat today. Yay. So, okay. So what I would like to start it off with is by having you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your career history. Yeah. So if you had told me a decade ago that I would be a financial coach for business owners today, I would have said you have the wrong person. <laughs> but basically what happened is I started off uh, as a coach for personal finances after my husband and I cash flowed my master's degree on a teacher's salary. And just having that big goal in front of us and really being focused on that, learning how to manage our money and experiencing the freedom that came with that it was so life transforming that that's what sparked my passion for finance. And so I was able to go to training um, at Ramsey Solutions, become a financial coach. And so many of my clients were business owners. And so I was recognizing that there was this pattern of I can't get my personal financial goals in order because the business finances need working on. So I started diving into that. And here we are. So um, tell me, what is the difference between a financial coach and a financial advisor? Because mm -hmm. I, I, they're two very different things, really. Yes, they are. And I collaborate a lot with financial advisors. Um, but yeah, a coach and an advisor are very different things. An advisor is going to really make sure that your investment portfolio is in, th that your money is invested in the right places, that it's aligned with your goals, your risk tolerance, all of that stuff so that you're, you know, whether it's your 401k or college savings for your kids, that it's optimally invested and that it's really well aligned with your goals. Um, being a financial coach, I help you manage your money. So we want to make sure, well, how much do you need to be investing every month? What does that look like for you? Why do you want to invest? Um, what are your objectives around building wealth? What's your mindset when it comes to managing your money? And so it's everything from the long-term planning to the day-to-day -day management and what that looks like. Um, even, even when it comes to your giving and your values and how that's being expressed uh, in your business and in your personal life. I love it. Well, as you know, the name of this podcast is Recipe for Success, and it came about because of my love of cooking. And I always could identify that there was a definite pattern and there was a key ingredient or technique that was always critical to the success of whatever I make. Now, I know that you are a baker um, and you do that for relaxation much as I do, but do you find the same thing to be true in um, when you're coaching either individuals or business owners that there is definitely a recipe that that they need to follow to get where they want to go? Yeah, absolutely. There's always going to be those key ingredients that you can't omit or substitute, right? There was a time that I learned how to bake cookies from my mom. Uh, she taught me how she taught me her chocolate chip cookie recipe. And I was 12 the first time that she taught it to me. And the first time I ever made them on my own, I actually forgot the flour. And I didn't, 
I didn't know what cookie dough was supposed to look like. And so I'm thinking this looks a little runny, but we're just going to go with it. It's probably fine. And instead of getting cookies, I got this bubbling hot mess of burnt sugar and set off all the smoke detectors. So it did not turn into cookies. You can't make it without flour. So it's very, it's very similar uh, when it comes to your financial objectives. You know, you need to have all the ingredients and you need to know how to combine them in the right way. So you need to have things like a budget. You need to have a long-term plan. You need to have an investment plan. You need to know how to get out of debt, all of those things. But then when it comes down to it, we're also doing this in real life, in a real context. It's not just in a vacuum. So when you add in elements of real life, you know, how do you actually execute the recipe? And I think that that's where the challenge is, but that's also where the opportunity is. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, what do you do if all of a sudden your oven turns off in the middle? You know, you have to be able to figure out how to adapt to those things. And I think the other thing that um, would be, at least in my opinion, you can tell me if I'm wrong, of course, um, I often am, but um, I'm thinking about another ingredient that would be really important in financial coaching or planning is discipline um, and patience because everything doesn't happen overnight. I like to bake bread, for an example. I bake sourdough bread and if I don't let it proof long enough, I have to have the patience to get to the point where it's ready for the next stage. If I rush it, I'm not going to get the results that I was looking for. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I'm going to have to get your sourdough bread recipe from you later. But uh, no, you're absolutely right. It's not just about having the right things. Um, it really is so much more about personal behavior and your beliefs and your mindset. And that's one of the things I love about businesses and about talking about finances, because the numbers tell a story, but the numbers are just surface level. Why are the numbers what they are? What needs to change? And 99% of the time, it's something within yourself that has to change in order to make the numbers what you want them to be. So yeah, discipline, patience, following you know, having that consistency, um, habit development, all of those things are necessary in order to get the results. You can't just have the knowledge, you have to be able to apply it to. And I, I love that. Um, I love that about you. And I love that you are looking at everybody as individuals and all the businesses as individuals, just to kind of use another cooking analogy. I don't usually throw this many out there, but it's <laughs> kind of coming to me today. Um <clears throat> We used to own a small um, microbrewery, my husband and I did a number of years ago. And one of the things that was really interesting in that industry is that almost anybody would give you their recipe. And the reason that they would give you the recipe is no two people could make it exactly the same. Mm. It, because everybody is going to have their own palate. There's going to be certain things that are different. Your water quality is different, different things. And so I think that um, you can have you can work with two clients and you can have a very almost an identical outline, but the points of emphasis, the way you execute it and everything else are going to end up with two different results because it's going to depend on the personalities and where they're, where they place the importance. Their, their palette is going to be a little bit different. Yeah. It, I, I think that analogy is really perfect because it's so true. Yes. You have your basic elements, but again, it's real life, we're working with real people, real personalities, real circumstances. And so those are all going to factor into how we implement the plan to your goals. Yeah. So I, I've talked to a lot of people in the financial planning arena. Um, and But your story is a little bit different because you 
your specific mission and goal is to work with Christian families and business owners. Um, so tell me a little bit more about what led you there and how you you honed in on this niche. Yeah, it really came from my belief in the Bible as the authoritative word of God. And that's where I get my my beliefs um, about money. Uh, the Bible actually has over 2000 verses that talk specifically about money. And so I believe in taking those principles and applying them, uh, whether the goal is to pay off debt, increase your cash flow, build wealth, whatever it is. Um, I take those biblical principles and I show you how you can apply them today in our modern system. So that's really where it came from for me. And uh, it, it works. So how did you how did you first start working with business owners? How, tell me a little bit about that evolution. Yeah, I I was I just had this influx of clients a couple of years into coaching, and they were all wanting help with their personal finances. And so, you know, the first step is we just take a look at what are the numbers telling us? Um, how much debt do you have? How much money are you making? Where are you feeling stressed around your finances? What's going on? what would success look like for you? All of those things. And as I was digging deeper, I was realizing that we cannot even get started. We don't even have a framework to be able to make any headway on your personal finances because your primary source of income, your business, there's no financial organization there. And that is the case for probably three quarters of small business owners. And so we know that if you want to thrive in your business, you know, you can't be overly stressed out personally because it's going to have an effect on your ability to grow your business and vice versa. And so I found an opportunity to help people bring stability to their cash flow, to, to create objectives that were aligned um, between the business and between their personal finances. And from there, it really just took off into oh, wow, this is really a niche where I can serve people really well. And I really love business. And so it was really a perfect sort of segue, sort of evolution into coaching. So what do you think, um, other than, of course, not having a plan, what do you think is the biggest obstacle or problem that most small business owners face? Mm, I would say, oh, I would say being in the role of the technician. So there's a book called The E-Myth Revisited that I have all my clients read. And it talks about how, you know, you can say, I'm really great at what I do, whether that is, you know, as a hairstylist or an attorney or a contractor, whatever it is, you're really great at your craft. And you say, I could do this on my own. Why should I just be someone else's employee? So you go start your own business. And that's how a lot of small business owners get started. And what they don't realize is that they're really, they really do have two hats to wear. One is the hat of the technician. The other one is the entrepreneur, the business owner, and they don't have the tools or the framework for building a successful business success is simply how do I get more and more business? And they find themselves in a spot where they're burnt out, they're overworked, they don't have time, they're not making the kind of money that's commensurate with their skill set and the, and the work that they're doing. And they feel really stuck and they don't know what to do next. So being able to take a step back 
and to re-envision what it means to own a business um, and being able to financially align uh, the revenue to your goals and to the freedom that you want to create from being a business owner is really key. But until you recognize that there are that you have to be able to wear both hats and think of your business as its own entity and that you aren't the business, but you own a business. I think that's really key for people. I think you also touched on a really important point there about freedom, because I think people need to define what freedom looks like to them before they decide they want to start a business mm -hmm. because freedom from somebody telling you what to do is very different than freedom to do whatever you want. Um, yes. They're very different things because um, as a business owner myself for a very long time now, um, the freedom that a lot of people imagine I have is not the same as the reason I continue to choose to be in business. I mean, I'm not, you know, vacationing in Cancun or wherever every year because that's not most important to me. Um, mm -hmm. But everybody has to think about that when they when they go to start a business. What, it, what do you really want to accomplish? Why do you really want to start a business? Um, and can you, can you take the pressures that come along with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are really powerful questions to ask. And uh, a saying that I, I like to use is, do you want, are, are you wanting to just not have a boss or are you really willing to be your own boss? And if you're willing to be your own boss, then sometimes you have to make yourself do things that you don't necessarily want to do. And that's exactly. part of the deal. Mm -hmm. So that's where that self-discipline and everything that you were mentioning uh, really comes into play. Like being your, being your own boss is not just about not taking orders from someone. It's you really have to have the self-discipline to do the things that need to get done. Yeah, I like that. Um, okay, so let's talk about um, the book Profit First. You mentioned it. Yeah. Um, I've seen you mention it several times. Why do you think it transformed your business so much? Yeah, so I read this book when I was very new early on uh, in financial coaching for personal finances. And for the first year, I did not pay myself anything. I had, I, I knew like, I'm, I'm going to have a budget for my business. I'm not going to take out debt to grow my business. So I was applying these principles of personal finance that I teach, but I was missing some of the elements. And I really fell into this trap of believing that you have to use all your profits to keep reinvesting and keep reinvesting. And all that led to was, yes, I was making more money, but my expenses were going up at the same rate that my revenue was. And so I was really spinning my wheels doing more work, but not profiting from it in a meaningful way, in a way that was beneficial to myself and to my family. So once I read Profit First, and it helped me to think a lot more strategically about the business finances, uh, I was able to start paying myself immediately. That was very rewarding. It took a lot of pressure off. Um, obviously my family was very appreciative. My husband really liked that. Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> yep. And I got really specific and strategic in particular about what expenses I allowed in my business and which ones I realized were not producing the ROI. So it also helped me to think about my business in terms of time and it helped me to clarify my goals. And it really just opened up a new window, a new perspective for me. And so that's why I feel like it's so powerful to look 
at your business through the lens of the numbers and what those numbers are telling you, because then you have the power to change the direction uh, to take your business where you want it to go because you need the numbers to line up. You have to have the cash flow moving where it needs to go to support those goals. I agree with that 100 percent. So when you're when you're talking about expenses and really examining the ROI, I think that's an area that most people really overlook. Mm -hmm. And they and I see it in my industry, in particular with people that start their own businesses, they bolt on a lot of shiny things because other people are doing it, but without really examining what, what is that benefit? What is that going to provide to you, to your employees, to your clients? And is it really worth the expense or is not having that shiny object actually going to serve you better? It's easy. I think it's very easy to fall into some of those traps of, well, everybody else is doing it. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I I fall into that trap, too. And so that's why I take a look about once a quarter at my operating expense budget. And I kind of look at especially with those monthly subscriptions, you know, um, because they just we just auto pay them. It's not that much money, but it really does add up. And when you take an audit of what you're spending your money on and you go, OK, Am I really getting the bang for my buck here? Am I really actually using this? Or did I just sort of sign up and forget that I was paying for it? You know, it, it lets you take an opportunity to just sort of reevaluate, you know? So I think quarterly is, is a great opportunity to reevaluate what's in your budget. And that just shaving off, you know, things that you're not using or things that are not bringing in the ROI that you initially thought, because, you know, shiny object syndrome happens to all of us, uh, that can save five to 10% right there, right off the bat, just by being diligent about keeping up with that practice. Yeah, it is very easy to get oversubscribed. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to share this comment. Um, it kind of goes back to one of the things you said earlier, but I think it's a really important um, point to bring up. Um, Esther Horwitz said, working in the business, technician, employee, working on the business, strategist, owner have two different mindsets that need to be integrated. The latter focuses on short-term and long-range goals, which influence daily activities, requires about 30% of micro small business owner time, but is actually more important to do. Uh, there's some gold in that statement right there, Esther. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love I love how you put that. That that is gold right there. I just want to like yeah. screenshot that. I know. So that that's a really important. So I love it. Okay, so here's another trick tricky subject. I know that you work with a lot of small business owners on is how to appropriately price their services. Yeah. So how do you decide? how much you're worth, because I do think it is one of the bigger challenges, because I know that whenever I go into a consulting gig, which is not how I'm always paid, I'm often paid in a different way. I have to think really long and hard about how I'm going to price my services and then sell them at that price. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So this is, I mean, just in full transparency, this is an area where I seek counsel on for myself too, because there's a saying that you can't see uh, outside of the frame that you're in something to that effect. Right. And so I think we need that feedback from others uh, to give us an idea of, yeah, you're pretty much in range or, Hey, you're way undervaluing, or perhaps like if you're open to the honest truth, sometimes maybe we're over value, you know, over uh, pricing. And uh, that happened to me once where I was trying something new and I did all these consultations and I got 30 no's in a row. 
And that was when I said, okay, maybe it, maybe I need to change some things. And there were there were multiple things going on. Like, yes, there was there were pricing issues, but it was also not targeted to the right audience. It wasn't the right uh, service. Like, so you know, some of it is trial and error. So a lot of it is just get out there and try something, and you have to see what works and see how the market responds. And you're really putting yourself out there, especially when uh, it's your services that you're offering. It's not like you're selling someone else's product. Right, um, right. There is sort of a personal, a sense of a personal risk there, but it's worth taking. Um, the other thing I would say is really look at your mindset around pricing. And uh, one of my favorite books is Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. I haven't gotten through the whole thing. It's like this thick. <laughs> it's not basic. It's like 13 books in one giant book. Sounds but, scintillating. Yeah. <laughs> For an economist, he really yeah. is a prolific writer, okay. though. <laughs> but he talks about in the first couple of chapters about this idea that, you know, pricing is really an economic issue. So if you if you sort of take depersonalize it as hard as that is to do, especially in a consulting type of type of role. But if you can sort of depersonalize and think about what the outcomes are that your client is going to get and you think about the ultimate results that you're delivering, price it from that perspective. Start with that. What is that worth to the client? And and go backwards from there. Yes, you need to check and make sure that, you know, if you're going to charge, say, $5,000 for X service, you know, think about the time invested in that. Think about your revenue, your expenses that are associated with it. You want to make sure that the numbers all work out, that they that they check out. But don't price it from a place of, well, how much do I need to get by? I think that's a big mistake that I see a lot of people make that I used to make too. Well, if I can just make this much, then at least I can get by. And that's not really taking the economic reality or the marketplace into consideration. So get feedback from people. At the end of the day, you're going to have to just put stuff out there and see what works and what doesn't. And that's how you're going to build confidence in your pricing. And um, I would say, you know, always be striving to add more value. Um, something that I heard from Seth Godin that I thought was really powerful was never discount what you do. Always seek to add more value so you can charge more. <laughs> so just try like to add that. more value. And then and then when you see like, oh, I'm proving that there's value to what I'm doing here, I can increase my prices, right? Because I'm because I'm confident in the value because people are really getting results. So I have two thoughts on that. And um, one, I've, one thing I've seen a lot of people that are freshly starting in an industry do wrong is they underprice their services to begin with. And then as soon as they start to get traction, they radically increase them. Mm -hmm. So the people that took a chance on them in the beginning are almost punished because they don't keep their prices low because all of a sudden they're going to apply that, apply that price increase to everybody. So the one thing I would say is that if your first customers, the first people allowed you to, you know, put food on the table or keep your doors open, I think business owners should show some loyalty back to those people, at least for a time period, and then explain to them, I was getting started. I probably underpriced a bit. This is why. This is how I'll scale it in. I've seen that on, on multiple occasions where entrepreneurs or business owners tend to forget how they started. And I think that's yeah. they think I think they should never do that. And then yeah, my other thought, my other thought is just like you were um, describing how business owners should look at all of their expenses for the ROI. Anytime we provide a service to a client, that's an expense to them. And we need to think about what is the ROI that it's going to provide to them. Yeah. 
-hmm. How is it going to improve their profitability, their business? And I think if we see it through that lens, it becomes a little bit easier to price mm -hmm. instead of just what's the value of an hour of my time. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And you, yeah, if you can look at it from your client's perspective, that's, that's the best way to see it. Um, because at the end of the day, what does your client care about? They care about the results. That's why they're working with you. And so that's how they're going to perceive the value. Um, and, and so when you're thinking about what you're charging, you know, always think about how is this serving my client? And then right. you're going to, it's, it's going to help you really target it. Um, pretty well. Yeah, I like that. Um, okay, so let's talk about because you talked about this in the very beginning, you went got your master's debt free, you, you know, you pretty much live a debt free lifestyle. I am not quite that close. Um, but we're we do fine. But if everyone could take away just one tip for making their debt either more manageable or paying it down forever, what would it be? What would be the first thing they need to do? Mm. You really have to have a compelling reason why you want to be debt free. Um, you know, managing the debt is is one thing. What I have found is that if your goal is to simply manage it, then it creates space to just fill it up with more debt. And that's sort of the cycle that I that I see happen over and over. But if you really want debt out of your life, then you've got to have a real compelling reason uh, why it is more painful to hold on to the debt than to get rid of it because there is going to be sacrifice there. You are going to have to make a plan and you are going to have to work that plan in order to make it happen. And it's worth it. But if it's, if you don't have clarity around why it's worth it, or you don't believe that it's actually possible, then all the research on goal achievement says you're, you're not going to take the action to make it happen. So you've got to really know what you're trying to achieve and why you're trying to achieve it. And you have to believe that it is possible for you. So to take that a step further. So do you think that it can be possible? Well, I'm going to use business because I think mm -hmm. business is a little bit different, but a certain amount of debt for most businesses is almost required. Um, not a lot, but there are certain, and maybe I shouldn't even call it debt. Maybe we can call it recurring monthly expenses, but there, there is a certain overhead that you need to carry to run a successful business. Otherwise you're not going to have the capacity to grow as quickly mm -hmm. as you would like. What are your mm -hmm. thoughts on that? Or maybe I'm off base. No, I'm glad you, I'm glad you asked the question. I think it's a really interesting topic because yes, you're going to need to make an initial investment at least to get started in your business. Uh, I, that doesn't necessarily have to be with debt though. You know, if you have enough saved up, I've heard of lots of business owners who had this dream for a business they wanted to start, but they knew it was going to require a certain amount of capital. So they saved their own money. Like they went and did, you know, got side hustles and scrimped and saved and sacrificed themselves so that they could self-fund. Now that might not be everyone's story, but there are ways that you can grow your business without debt. So yeah, you're going to have that initial capital investment, but then from there, you can organize your finances in a way where it is you've got positive cash flow where you know exactly how much risk you can afford and what you're comfortable with. Um, you can assess your profitability, you know, knowing your profit margins, having that business model uh, that's profitable from the get go, at least in some ways, um, is going to really help you stay out of uh, really just an untenable situation. So do you see any difference between short-term and long-term debt? Uh, I would say 
Not too much. So like with my clients, it's sort of, everyone comes in a different place, right? Sure. And it's really just about where are you starting from? Where do you want to get to? And I have never seen a case where holding on to that debt is actually serving them other than they really just need the liquidity. And they're like, I just don't have the profit. I don't have the profit margin. I don't have the liquidity to get it paid off. So in business, there is sort of a balance of, hey, you don't want to drain all your reserves to pay off debt because liquidity is really important. Um, But it is about finding that balance and so that you can sustainably continue to grow profitably and get that debt paid down because that is going to help increase your cash flow. It's it's just going to increase the overall financial health of your business. And I always find that debt is usually a Band-Aid that covers up the real problem. So if you are putting next month's expenses on a credit card because your revenue isn't high enough to cover the expenses, well, that's going to really skew your numbers and it's going to just sort of be that Band-Aid solution as opposed to really saying, all right, if I'm committed to cash flowing my business, cash flowing my expenses, choosing to be profitable no matter what, because I'm going to intentionally set aside profit to begin with, and I'm going to keep my expenses to a percentage of my revenue. Well, now I'm staying really accountable to my goals. And now I'm forced to deal with the realities that maybe there are things in my business that are not sustainable that I have to change. I like that. Um, You did bring up, you did make a, I think an important statement in that. So you said, if I'm financing my expenses, Mm -hmm. so there's an expense isn't a debt unless you finance it. If you can pay it out of cash flow, that's not debt. And I think sometimes people get a little confused about the two. So you Mm -hmm. need to choose where your expense level hits before it transfers into the debt. Exactly. And that's where like just having a business budget is so helpful because it will show you the truth about what it actually costs to operate your business at its current at its current level. And when you're really clear on that number and what your profit margins are and what you can sustain, uh, then you can figure out, okay, what is the strategy I need in order to, you know, whether it's paid on the debt, increase my profits through more sales, whatever that looks like, you'll never have the clarity unless you know exactly what are my monthly recurring expenses or my annual expenses, you know, what are the true costs to operate my business versus, Hey, I took out this loan. It's already, you know, I'm making payments on it, but it's already, you know, it's just this old debt sitting around that I have to pay back, but it might not be uh, contributing to the operations of a business today. So getting clarity on, on just separating those things out uh, is really, really helpful. I like that. Okay. So on, we're going to switch gears and talk about, talk about you for a minute. Um, So on a more personal note, I know that you're the mother of twins. Uh And I always like to joke that God did not give me twins for a reason because he did (laughs) not think I could handle it. But I would love to hear about your experience raising twins with your experience um, starting a business and doing all this with young children. Just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I would say at first I felt like I was at a disadvantage because here I am starting out a business. I've got one-year-old twins and I actually had another job at the time too. And so things were a little busy (laughs) and, (laughs) and I remember actually getting on a call with, uh, with someone, uh, who, who had a lot of business experience and I was trying to make the decision about whether to 
leave my other job and sort of make that jump right into doing this full time. And one of the things he said was, well, you know, we've all got the same 24 hours in the day. And I'm just thinking, if you ever say that to me again, <laughs> because I, I actually don't believe we all have the same. Yes, we all have 24 hours, but how that gets allocated is very, very different, uh, especially when you have two very demanding, you know, one-year-olds. So uh, that I, I felt like that put me at a disadvantage for growing my business. But then I had a turnaround moment when I realized that so many of the other coaches and, and business owners in other areas too, they're not necessarily making the most of those 40 hours. You know, they might, they might be saying, yeah, I, I'm working 40 hours, but what are they actually accomplishing in those 40 hours? And so I started to look at my business less as a, how much time do I have that I can fill up with stuff to do? And more from a point of reference of these are my goals. This is how much time I've got to get it done. What can I actually achieve and accomplish in these 15 to 20 hours a week? And so I got really um, a lot more strategic about the way I was spending my time too. Sort of like if you're on a lower budget as yep. a business owner and you have to be more resourceful with your finances, uh, you don't have like just money that you can just waste on stuff, right? So it's the same thing with time. So I started to see that as it was a real gift because I was able to figure out a lot sooner. Look, I value time with my family. I value this lifestyle. These are the things I'm not willing to compromise on. And I think starting from that place allowed me to grow a lot more thoughtfully and in a, and, and a lot more aligned with my goals. Whereas I think if I had just felt like I had all this time in the world, then that really would not have happened. I love that. That's a great, a great perspective. And so now how old are your twins? Cause I do, I did see a post that said they're back in school. They, they are back in school. They're in second grade. They're seven. And then we also have a two and a half year old. She so. is a brave woman, people. She <laughs> is a brave woman. And um, I did, I, the reason I saw the post was because I was looking at these perfect little bento box lunches that she created with special little cutters. And I'm like, I was never that mom, but no, uh, no. Got I'm not that mom either. That was day one. That was just day one of school. I, I think I put a caveat in there. Like when it's day 100, you know, my husband and I were joking. It's going to be the plastic grocery bag, throw in an overripe banana and a peanut butter sandwich. Like here's your lunch. Go to school. I was like, I want that for lunch. It was beautiful. So, oh, all right. So we have made it to the end section of the show. So you are now subject to my five burning questions. All right. And I know you're a good cook, so I'm excited to hear your answer about this. But what is your favorite food in the world and can you cook it? My very favorite food is Thai red curry. And mm. it's it's my favorite. I just, yeah, I there's a whole story behind that. But I would say sort of, I can't get it just right though. Like, you know, there's just a certain complexity of flavors with certain dishes and yes. if you don't get it right, it's like, what's the point of even trying? Yeah. So I feel like it's one of those. I have not yet figured out truly how to make it the way that it's so, so amazing. I love, I, I do love Thai red curry as well. It is pretty amazing. Yeah. Okay. So what is the character trait that you admire most in other people and why? Hmm. I think the trait I most admire is, I mean, honestly, there are several, but I would have to say one would be generosity. I think that true generosity, just whether it's financial or really just people who are generous in spirit, 
that just bleeds out in every area of their lives, whether it's with their time, their expertise. Uh, when I was in my coach training, uh, one of the uh, in-house coaches at Ramsey and I were just chatting uh, during one of the breaks and uh, we were going to be first time home buyers soon. And he was like, Hey, you know what? Do you want to just sit down at lunch with me and just, we can talk through that decision. And I was like, really? You know, I basically got free coaching yeah. during, and he took his lunch to like spend with me. And I just thought, man, you know, that is the kind of coach that I want to be right. Because it made such an impact on my life. Um, having that one conversation, he helped me really think about that decision um, and, and how to make that decision in context of, of our financial goals and what kind of life we wanted. And um, he's just so, so caring and it left such an impression on me. So I would have to say just that generosity of spirit. Um, I admire so much in people. I love that. That's a fantastic um, description of it too. So now if I turn the camera on you and I say, mm -hmm. what is the character trait in yourself that you're most proud of and why? Yeah, I, I think I would have to say my tenacity. Um, yeah, I, I just, I just don't believe in giving up. I always say that the only two ways to fail in business are to go bankrupt or to quit. So as long as you're not in a position to go bankrupt and you stick with it and you're persistent, uh, success is pretty much inevitable. <laughs> so it might take a while. You have to be really patient. You have to be really persistent and keep going, but I uh, just don't quit. And so, yeah, I think I, I have had to be tenacious all throughout my life in different ways. And it's serving me well in business and it's serving me well in a lot of areas of life. Well, from an outsider's perspective, I would say that one of the qualities I see in you that I admire is you are very fearless. And I, I really appreciate that about you is you're very fearless in expressing your beliefs and your position and you, you stand behind it. Um, and without, with kindness, you're fearless but kind. And I think that that is a, a really fantastic combination. Oh, thank you, Nancy. That, that means a lot to me. I really appreciate that. Uh, you're welcome. So if time and money were not an obstacle, mm -hmm. what's the one thing on your dream list you would love to do and why? Okay. So I've got this travel itinerary. <laughs> there are certain places that I really want to go. If I could do like one more trip in my entire life, uh, it would be Mediterranean. I want to go to Turkey. I want to go to Greece. I want to go to Italy and I want to go to Egypt. And specifically because when I was in sixth grade, we studied the ancient Egyptians and I was like, I'm going to be an archeologist in Egypt. Like that was the dream. The dream has since changed, but I still really want to go to Egypt. I want to, I want you to want go. go on just one of those little tourist digs and dig around. Yes. Like, but I want to, but I really want to go do that and just really experience Egypt. Um, I want to go to Ephesus. I want to go to, you know, Paul's missionary mm -hmm. um, locations. Um, I really love history. So I, oh, and I think I would throw Israel in there too. So I want to oh, go to, you know, yeah, all of those all of those countries. And if I could just do it all in one, like two or three month trip, I think that would be amazing. I think that would be pretty amazing too. I think I like your itinerary. It's very good. <laughs> um, okay. So what's your secret talent or something people would be surprised to learn about you? Yeah. So I'm a little hesitant to call it a secret talent because I just started, but I just started learning um, how to play the drums. 
And it's really, really fun. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I would not, really I would not have guessed that. So I would say that's a, that's a surprising thing. So it's very, are you enjoying it's it? New. It's so great. Like, you know how when you're cooking or baking, it's sort of, you get in that zone. It's very yeah. relaxing. That's what playing the drums does for me too. And it's like, I can focus on learning this little skill or this little um, section of something. And you just have to be kind of focused in on it and play it over and over and over. And it's very, it really just helps my mind like decompress. So I'll go down in the basement and play. My husband bought an electric drum set. He plays guitar and like really likes writing songs and stuff. So I'll just go down there like at 930 at night when the kids are asleep in the basement, I'll just play for like 20 minutes. I'm like, wow, that was really, that was really great. <laughs> that's fun. I love that. I love that, that that's, that can be a family thing too. So yeah, now you teach your kids to do the tambourine or something. Yeah. Something. <laughs> so, okay. Last question. So who's the one person living or otherwise famous mm -hmm. or otherwise that you would most like to meet in real person and sit down and have a deep conversation with? Okay. So my answer there's gosh, when you, you did send me this question ahead of time, I'm like, Oh, there's so many on my list. Right. But the one that keeps popping up is Dave Ramsey, but not for the reason that you might expect, like, obviously, you know, right. financial guru, but because I feel like I need to redeem myself a little bit because I got to go to a conference last fall. Um, and he spoke and it was at Ramsey solutions. And, uh, he was, there like hanging out mingling at the you know social you know happy hour afterwards and you know obviously a lot of people want to talk to him and it's like how do i make my way to say hi to dave ramsey right so it was towards the end of the evening and i'm like if i don't go say hello i'm never gonna get a chance to so i go and i i join this little like circle and there were just a lot of people who wanted to get in a word like just it it was it, it was a little, uh, there were just a lot of people, let's put it that way. And I was standing next to him and he looks over and he smiles at me like he's friendly and I smile back and I just stand there like an idiot and say nothing. I was <laughs> <laughs> so like, oh my gosh. So, so you want to sit down with him and say, Hey, you remember that person who just smiled at you that whole time? No, I'm just going to hope that I'm just, if I ever get to talk to him, I'm just going to hope that he like does not remember that awkward moment and uh, we'll just like start from scratch. <laughs> so I would love just another chance to just, uh, yeah, actually have a, have a real conversation. That would be pretty cool. I love it. I love it. Well, that is so fun. Well, that is our time for today. So if people want to learn more about what you do and um, how you can help, what would be the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah. So you can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn um, and send me a message, uh, you know, through LinkedIn. That's great. Uh, my email is Lauren at laurenrilling.com. So um, yeah, just, just reach out if you want to talk or if you have a question about your business finances, and I'd love to just chat with you more. Well, that would be fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. I think it was a, just a really enlightening conversation. I hope everyone got a lot out of it. And um, for everyone else, I will see you next week. Thank you so much, Nancy. Thank you.